lot. Like my father and uncles were fishermen, my grandfather, my great grandfather, they all had boats. They were all fishermen. I just done I wouldn't do anything else either now at this stage of life. Aran Moor Island is three miles off the west coast of Donegal, with a population of around 500. Fishermen were the easy targets. OK, let's get rid of the problem. Let's get the fishermen off the water. And that's what they've done, and, and they've destroyed... They've destroyed many communities. I'm only speaking for this community, but they've destroyed Aran Moor to what it was and to what it is now. I'm what's known as an islander, and for us, fishing is the heart and lifeblood of our community. But that's been taken away from us. Who do you, who do you, who do you start to blame? I, I think myself. And I'll be honest and say that the politicians didn't fight hard enough for us, you know. We're only an island, and, and they should have stood by us. We're stuck out in the ocean, and... And it's not fair that we can't go out and, and uh, do the little things we want to do, you know. Many islands around Donegal that were once home to communities are now uninhabited. I left the island 20 years ago because I couldn't get work. I'm going back to see if my island community can survive into the future. Glenhead Coast Guard, Glenhead Coast Guard, there's more than 2-4 over. Glenhead Coast Guard, Glenhead Coast Guard, uh, good morning, go ahead over. Uh, good morning, uh, now departing Port for Arnmore, what, 10 passengers to crew. ATA for Arnmore, 15 minutes over. Over in uh, Glenhead, uh, that's all copied, uh, good morning, thank you. It's about a 15 minutes crossing, it's a beautiful picturesque, no matter what the weather is, good weather, it's lovely to see, and then on bad weather still equally as nice. Aranmore Island is picture perfect, with beautiful sandy beaches, single and double track roads, hilly landscape, sheep in the fields, tractors and trailers, cars, lighthouse looking onto the Atlantic Ocean, lakes. We even have our own bogs to cut turf. I'm quickly reminded how unpredictable island life can be. As I arrive, the community is gathering for the annual blessing to hope and pray that our fishing fleet will have a successful and safe year ahead. Father John Joe Duffy, we are just travelling around the harbour of Afford on Ardmore Island, blessing the fishing fleet. We have this blessing here on the island on an annual basis, which takes place at the beginning of May each year, which is the start of the fishing season here on the island. We have blessed the half-deckers and the larger boats, which are still under 15 metres, and we now uh, move along the punts of the island, which are the smaller boats. And we are also moving among the pleasure craft, uh, which sails here from the island. This 
sea is very important to the people of the island and a large crowd always gathers uh, for this event. Trust these boats to Jesus, to God, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as we pray to the Mahawara, the land, the grass, the being brought up on the island was the ultimate childhood experience. We had such freedom as kids and ran around like free spirits. Fishing was always the main industry on the island and lots of boys that I grew up with carried on the traditions of their father by going fishing. Neely Kavna is one of those who chose to maintain the island heritage, culture and way of life. My name is uh, Neely Cavanagh from Arnmore Island in County Donegal and I've been fishing for the last 25 years or so. My earliest memory of being out fishing would be that of going out with my father and uncle and the half-ticker hauling uh, lobster pots just up about three or four miles up the bay there. I uh, made up my mind to go fishing when I, when I was at boarding school in Falcara on the mainland. We used to be down there for a month at a time. We would get up maybe one weekend every month, like at the end of the month. And I didn't like it, so my father was going fishing this day and I just decided to jump in the boat and went away with him. I was meant to go to college that Sunday evening to catch the ferry out from Aaron Moore, but I didn't, I didn't go. And I told my mother when I came back that I'd go Monday morning on the bus, but that never happened, and so years since. The most thing I love about fishing is the freedom, and it's a different thing every day you go out. It's, the weather might be good today and tomorrow it might be choppy and it might be raining and there's no two days the same you might be some days you catch a nice lot of stuff and other days it just just very very stuff is very scarce you wouldn't cover expenses it's just it's in the blood like my father and uncles were fishermen my grandfather and my great grandfather they all had boats they were all fishermen and we fish a, a 36 foot half dicker has been in the family since 1969. We we used to fish lobsters and and salmon was the main thing, but that all stopped. So I'm just crew mem- crew member now with my brother fishing crabs for the winter and a bit of lobsters in the summer. Well, a typical day fishing crabs would, would that we would leave the pier here on Afford about half four in the morning. We would go on board the we boarding boats that we have there because we have to anchor the boats offshore and uh, we either row out to them or whatever we get out to them boats that are anchored offshore about 200 metres offshore and that's it, we head away out to about 20 miles west northwest of Iron and we haul our pots out there, the crab pots out there and after the day it's good like it, you don't feel it like the day you know, you get everything goes well for you but if it's a choppy day it can be 10 or 11 o'clock at night before you return back home. And out of the 365 days in the year how many days would you actually get to go out fishing? I would say if we got 80 between 80 to 100 days fishing crabs would be very very lucky and most of them would be in the summertime because the weather does be very bad up here and you know it's the distance and then the boat is only 39 foot the boat we fish crabs would. Yeah, the weather's been very bad since Saturday night was the last day we were out fishing, and today is Thursday the 12th of May, and by the sounds of the forecast and the shipping and all that, I don't think we'll get out before Sunday. 
So the pots and that are definitely going to be lying for eight days before we get anything out of it. It could be longer, but it's pretty bad for the time of year. And is that a worry for you throughout the year? Because, you know, if you're in another job, if there's a day where there's snow or ice and you can't make it to work, you're still going to get paid. But for fishermen, if you can't go out to fish, there's no there's no insurance, there's nothing to cover you, is there? No, there's nothing at all to cover us at that end. And the worrying part about it, that most of the gear is on, uh, on lobsters, as I said. It's only three mile up the bay there. And the fishermen are beginning to worry, will the gear be all right when we get out? Because the seas are pretty heavy and the one strong like and we would be expecting a lot of casualties as they say, a lot of damage to the gear with the sea that's coming unknowns to us. So that now is no, that's another problem now. We'll probably spend another couple of days mending up gear and whatnot when we do get out. So when we go out to look at the pots in a couple of days when the weather hopefully does calm down, if you go out there and you find that the pots are damaged, what happens then? Well, if there's not too many of them damaged, we'll fix them, or if they're not too bad, we'll fix them out on on the deck of the boat at Sea Lake. But if, you know, otherwise, if they're pretty badly, we'll have to put them aside and take them ashore and fix them. Put them back in the stern of the boat and take them in and fix them. But, for example, if someone's a farmer and their crop gets damaged, are they or are they not insured? Well, they're probably insured, yeah. But there's nothing like that for fishermen? No. And why is that? I don't know. I, just, I couldn't answer that. We can't get... You know, it's just... Neck to God, as they say. We just have to take chances like that, like and sure we're chancing with a running a risk of going out and maybe not coming back and ever coming back, like, you know, as people know right well, just that's the way it is with fishing. I've been scared once or twice, yeah. Yeah, we were caught out there about August towards the end of August I think it was the twenty eighth of August uh, two thousand and nine. Uh, we were caught out in a bad ale bad gale there that time now that blew up maybe force nine or ten all of a sudden like you know it was given six to eight or something and uh, we just decided we'd keep on hauling because there's better stuff on the pots but it didn't work out that way now we we got a bathroom coming coming home but we just it's one of those things like it always sticks in the back of your head it's not going to happen to me again you know it was pretty about nasty now On the island, everyone knows each other and there's a huge sense of community. Anna Gallagher takes me on a bus tour of the island. Hi, Helena. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be home again. So you're going to take us on a wee journey around the island? I am, Helena. We're here at Lib Garrow, Garrow where the ferry comes into and leaves from all during the day. We'll just start off here maybe and drive over along the road. We're now uh, just going into the village and on my left-hand side here you can see the youth hostel. Uh, just we are here in the village of Lab Garrow now and on my right-hand side there is the post office which is a very busy post office because it is the only one on the island. And on my left-hand side there is the shop and a pub. Right, so we're just going to pull in here to uh, nip into the shop to get a few things in here. Will it be busy in the shop today? Well, it depends. Now, it could be. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be, yeah. just depends on the time of day you're here and that. 
Now, it's busy there this morning, just as I say, depending on the time of day you're there. Right, so we're going to head off now. Uh, we're just going to leave uh, Lake Garrow here and just we're going to head over to the middle of the island and I will talk you through it as we go. Just as we head out here, leaving the village, the, there's the two schools here. The National School on my right-hand side and the secondary school on my left-hand side, just below the road there. And how many children will be at the, the, the National School and Primary School? Uh, stop there a second. Right, well, I think, um, I think between the two, there would probably be around 50 children between the two schools, or maybe slightly over 50. And you would probably have the same, or maybe a wee bit more, in the secondary school on the island. Of course, the secondary school was a big asset to the Isle of Great thing to happen to the island because years ago, like, uh, all the children had to leave at 12, 13 years and go to the mainland to boarding schools, Letterkenny, Malford, Falcara. The boys went to St. Union's in Letterkenny. So, at least now, when the children are here, we have the secondary school and those children our young people are with us until they're 19. During my teenage years, I have vivid memories of over 100 island fishermen heading out to sea. But today it's a different story with just 15 fishermen struggling to make a living. Over the years, with increasing EU and Irish laws, fishing regulations and restrictions have become more difficult. Slowly but surely, the number of island fishermen began to dwindle, but the final nail in the coffin came on the 1st of November 2006. Minister Noel Dempsey has been given Cabinet approval for a complete ban on drift netting for salmon in the hopes of preserving dwindling wild salmon stocks. The proposals provide for a hardship fund of €30 million Euro for fishermen and a compulsory end to drift netting by next January. The decision came as several hundred fishermen were marching to the Doyle over the issue. Now, Minister Dempsey My name is Hugh Rogers. I'm chairman of the Donegal Islands Fishermen's Association. The salmon fishing wasn't taken away by our European government it was taken away by our own Irish government. When they decided to ban the salmon, I mean, it was a total shock to the island community because that's what it was worth. I think it's 195,000 to Ironwater Island the last year that they fished. Now, that mightn't seem a lot of, a lot of money, but spread out over a, a number of fishermen, it, it meant that families could stay at home and live on the island. When you take that away, there's really nothing else except unemployment, and the people don't want to be just unemployment and taking benefits. But to be honest, there is nothing now, and all our young people, we notice in our football team in particular, I mean, most at the moment, we have three or four players that live on the island. Uh, the rest are away in college, and we struggle even to put out 11 players now at the weekend to play. 
So the whole uh, the fishing is not just about uh, people earning a living. It's, it's the whole life of the community. Uh, I brought up my own four kids here in the island, and it's sad to say now that three of those are emigrated to America. One is married in Navan. I would hope, I certainly have a son that would come back tomorrow morning if fishing was restored. I know he'd come back, and he would bring back his family and reared, and I know that would happen to a lot more families as well. The compensation package offered by the Irish government to commercial salmon licence holders was about €25 million. But it did not appeal to the Arnmore fishermen for a variety of reasons, as island fisherman Jerry Early told me. Um, I'm sitting on a pier on the north side of Arnmore Island, where 20, 25 years ago there would have been a total of eight, ten boats just in this harbour alone. I'm sitting looking out the bay and, and at the pier... There's one boat tied up which is, belongs to myself and uh, it's, it's a very sad, sad situation. Rather than look at the problem and try and, and, and tweak it, they decided to go for a full-out, absolute total ban. Uh, they came up with a compensation package of £25 million. One of the conditions on the buyout is that if we accepted the buyout, we were never again allowed to apply for a commercial salmon fishing licence. Now, it wasn't been, it wasn't for the money. There was, there was, there was, there was quite a number of boats, quite a number of individuals turned down substantial amount of money. But the real consensus was that who or what gives us the right, what give the fishermen the right to sell something that wasn't theirs. You know, how could we explain to our children, listen, I'm sorry, son, um, I took the money and you're not allowed ever to go to fish. Now, it was a moral issue for us. Um, and we're still fighting the battle. We started fighting this battle in 2006 and, and we will, on, uh, I can only speak for myself, but until my dying breath, I will keep fighting that fight that, that we should be allowed to fish in a controlled manner where we're not out to exploit, all we wanted, and, and, and what, what, what people don't understand, we were not making huge amount of money as, as, as may have been portrayed. We were not, all we were doing, and I mean the average, the year that we finished fishing, uh, a government survey showed that there was 190,000, which is what the total fleet, the total fleet made on salmon. Now, when you take X amount of fishermen, you know, it was it was five or six, seven thousand per person. Our average catch was ten, maybe twelve. On a good day, you would get fifteen salmon, and that was that was a good day's wages, and that's all we wanted was a good day's wage. We we were never going to get rich from salmon fishing. That five or six or seven thousand was a huge benefit to the people, to the wives, to the house, to the economy. You take that amount of money out of a small area, and it's automatic recession. So, I mean, we didn't feel the recession that's, that's countrywide at the moment. Our recession started in 2006 when the country was at the height of the boom. So, I mean, we're five years into this recession. So, we're hardened and, and, and you know, I think it's especially hard on, on an island when there is no options. We don't have choices. Armour Island, and I can speak for Armour Island, and, and I can speak for Inishbofin and Tory Island as well. Fishing is central to these islands. It's like a deck of cards. You take away the, you take away the main car that's holding them all up, and it's, it's a domino effect. Each one falls.
I notice a huge change in the island. Every year there seems to be less and less fishermen around, but the spirit of the community is still strong. In Colleen's Hotel on the island, locals have come together for a session. There's five or six of us that play here on the island. We've got uh, two accordion players, and we've got a banjo player, and a couple of fiddle players, and we have Alec Brown there on the pipes. And we, we, we play maybe three or four nights a week we can do in the summer, you know. And uh, we could be playing for maybe ten hours at a time. So we, we like to enjoy ourselves. <laughs> when, when we're playing, like we do tend to draw a few people, you know, because it brings a bit of an atmosphere into the pub. And the pubs usually benefit from it, you know. Everyone enjoys themselves. I'm going back on the bus with Anna to continue our tour of the island. Yeah, it's, it has turned very, very nasty now, but we can still carry on and do our tour. That's what it's like in the island. One, day, one minute is sunshine, the next minute is that's raining. That's right, you can never... We have no control over the weather, unfortunately. And how many in the secondary school, how many students would be per club per year, you know? How many would be doing the leaving certificate, for example, this year? Well, I would say in any year there would be between 8 and 10 doing the, the leaving cert there. And um, because it's a small school, like, and it's, it's very, very, they get great results there, like, you know. For that reason, like, you know, as I said, they nearly have one-to-one -one, uh, teaching, like, you know. So they do get very good results, like there's no doubt about it, like so, you know, but yeah, it's great, as I say, a great thing to ha have happened to the island, like. And to my right, there is the Holiday Village and there is a culture land or culture centre, um, which would sort of act in the summertime as a tourist information point. Um, the holiday, home, the holiday village right beside it there and th it would be very busy as well during the, the tourist season, you know. There's uh, self-catering accommodation there, so, you know, it's it's very it's always very busy. Okay, in the cultural centre itself, there is uh, a small uh, craft shop where you can buy souvenirs or stuff that is produced locally. Uh, as well as that, you can have tea and coffee there, or um, there's internet access there, you know, for anybody that wishes to go in and, and to use that, like, you know, so, um, and it's, it's situated sort of in the middle of the island, you know. We are here at the Corkhaman now. The Corkhaman itself has a shop here where you can buy, it acts as a builder's providers here on the island. Uh, you can also buy your diesel and your coal and all that sort of thing here on the island. And as you can see, they would be quite busy here with all the, the building materials and that. I suppose, unfortunately, nowadays there isn't as much building work going on as there was in the past, but they would still be the only uh, store on the island to provide such sort of stuff. Well, they would be quite busy. Basically, anything you would you would uh, need, they can order it in for you. I would say there would be about seven or eight people employed in the local co-op here, 
So um, seven or eight people in a small rural place like this is as good as 20 or 30 in a, in a bigger town, like, you know. The Arnmore Pipe Band has been going for as long as I can remember and it's a proud part of island culture. The Arnmore Pipe Band um, consists of 24 members, both male and female, and various age groups, um, from the age of 8 up to the age of 50-plus. Um, I think we're forming something that we've all got pride in, both the players, the members, the families, the community itself. Um, we support many events on the island, um, and in the, the next couple of years, we hope to go and support some off-island events, but our main purpose is really for the community here and to play as much as we can and bring some happiness, especially during the dark winter months. Within the band, the crack's great, um, and I think we want it to be that way. We're a community band. We've we're all got the same idea that we're here to enjoy ourselves and play music for everybody, so it's got to be fun. And I think we've achieved that. We've got a great level of camaraderie within the band, and between all the young ones and indeed all the older ones, and we got on great as a team. The island had a strong rowing club, but it has stopped due to immigration. However, the Arnmore soccer team still remains a strong part of the community. Yeah, there's a good bunch of lads coming up now, so we're over here now. We have a big tournament on the weekend of June weekend, and hopefully we might, might do OK. We have to go across to, to play all our away games, obviously. Um, I know when we start, and I still think it's the case that, that we are the only team, the only island team that's affiliated to any of the uh, leagues, and that's across the English FA, the Welsh FA, Scottish FA, and the FA of Ireland. So, so I mean, it's, it's a huge... It's a huge commitment, it's a huge, you know, it takes a lot to keep it going, but, you know, it's, the lads are determined and, and, and you know, they're, they're keeping it going because there's a good young generation again coming up. You know, the community do get beside the, behind the club because there's a, there's a tradition, there's a good tradition and they're very proud people. Football pitch is Rana Park, yeah, I remember I was a young fellow when we started developing this. Um, it's in the west, the very west end of the island, the southwest end of the island, where... It's very seldom you get a good day. It's, it can be a very breezy spot, um, which gives us, I suppose, an advantage on some days. But uh, I mean, the setting—you know—I dare to say, and I, 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 I defy contradictions. It's got the most remarkable setting, the most scenic setting of, of any of the divisions, any of the grounds that, that I've been to. Not just up and down the county, but up and down the country. I mean, it's, 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 you're overlooking the, the North Atlantic. It's, it's breathtaking. We do have a great pride. We've great pride of. of Belonging, and it's the one constant thing that, that you know that's been on the island now in the 25 years. Different clubs have come and gone, unfortunately, because because of immigration. The rowing club, which we had a great tradition in rowing on the island, you know, the, all the good rowers have left, and it's, it's very hard to keep that going. But but the football club, as far as I'm concerned, have been the one constant, and, and we've had good teams and we've had very bad teams, but it's always been there, and it's, it's, it's a good outlet for the younger lads, you know. Paul Do you know we did come over here for a kickabout over at the football pitch and just kind of not major, just kind of get together with the lads and uh, pass time more than anything down here <laughs> for strangers coming in. It's it's good, like it's very kind of relaxed. There's no kind of hustle bustle ever. It's just kind of very easy going. 
way of th doing things around here. It's just simple, like, and that's why I think a lot of people from, like, you know, the, like the cities and that would come back here just to relax and have a good time. Uh, you went. You started in Galway last year, Michael. Did you find that? Uh, how did you find that leaving the island for the first time to go and live in Galway? See, I I didn't think it would be as like a, I thought I'd be struggling or whatever because I'm such a homebound kind of lad. You know, everyone is around here, but it's it's not as bad as like as I thought it would be. Like, there's a lot of people from Donegal in Galway from in college. Like, so you know, it's kind of home away from home at the same time. So it's it's good enough. Like. one sense the island is still very much alive and meeting the teenagers reminded me of what a privileged upbringing I had. I was like me, well I'm in the leaving cert but I have friends that are out of school and I would get on with like the ones like in lower years as well just because there's like so little people so everyone just gets on and everyone would just be close. And People think oh you're from an island and you just mix with your own people but it's not like that. Like... But people <laughs> do think though like when yeah. you're from here that you should look away like I went down to see my sister and <laughs> they were like oh they were like you don't look like you're from an island but it's like what are you supposed to look like just because we're from an island doesn't mean you have people have a stereotype from about island people thinking that we're all old-fashioned and that we're not the same as people our own age from the mainland or other places it's pretty much the same as anywhere else like everyone Individual. yeah we're all different and we can be the same in some ways but like everyone just has their own mind and they just do Every time I come home to the island, I feel like I'm leaving the rest of the world and its problems behind me. The thing I notice most is the people and the intertwining of generations. If you're an islander, you always want to return home. My name is Neely Gallagher. Okay, I'm the owner of Neely's Bar and Shop on the island. Yeah, I moved back here in uh, 1966 from the United States and there was about 800 people on the island. At the moment there's about 500 people. There's people uh, leaving and there's very few people around so there was a big impact on the island because there's um, no, no money being circulated to the island. So things are just coming to a standstill. And there's one bar closed already and one shop. So I don't know what's going to happen from here on in. Now we're in the middle of May and normally you would be open seven nights a week. But at the moment you just open now Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights because it's not, it's not worth your while opening during the week because there's nobody about. Because the fishing was the life of the island. And once the fishing died, the island died. It's like the gold... It's like the mines out west, when the mine died, the place died. And it's the same as all islands all over the world, it's the same. Once, once, the, once the fishing stops, everything else comes to a halt, you know. And the restrictions on the, on the fishing is terrible at the moment, you know. Terribly, there's no fishing at all left. You can't even go out now and get a feed for yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Neely's opinion is backed up by the fact that Arnmore Island falls within an area in the Atlantic Ocean known as Area 6A. This particular part of the Atlantic has come under massive attention as it is vital in the conservation of salmon and cod stocks. On the 1st of February 2009, further technical conservation measures came into place. As a result, the combined effect of all these measures means that smaller local vessels which have traditionally fished in the area will struggle to catch any fish at all. And so their only option is to fish lobster and crab. This could spell the death of the island. And if things couldn't get worse, in late May the island community was hit by a large storm. Live across the northwest, this is Highland Radio News. Good afternoon, it's three o'clock. Some Ironmore fishermen say they are prepared to go to jail in the fight for a return of their fishing rights. Since 2006, new regulations mean that fishermen have effectively been banned from fishing 48 species, with the majority now fishing lobster and crab. Their ongoing fight for more rights was brought back into the spotlight when storms earlier this week destroyed most of the island's lobster and crab fishing gear. Ironmore Island Fisherman's spokesperson Jerry Early says they are prepared to begin fishing illegally to make a living, even if that means going to jail. It means getting, getting our rights back as islanders, which I feel that I think we've been treated as second-class citizens on this one, Greg. And, and I think until we get our rights back as islanders, I will stand behind them 100%. And I am prepared, I'm prepared to go along with them. And if, it, if, it, if that takes us to the steps of my joy, well, you know what, so be it. I'll, I'll be there with them. So, Nelly, we're, we're just standing there and we're looking at, like, pots. I don't know how many pots, damaged pots we're looking at. It's a terrible sight. It is, indeed. It's a sad sight to see. There's something like, there's about a hundred in that, in that stack there now. And there's, I think there's about 200 between that and the truck. And, you know, everybody, some of the lads took theirs home, like, but you're, they, they can't be fixed, like, anybody at all that knows anything about pots or gear, like... Just unrepairable, that kind of scrap like now, like it's just for the scrap heap. What happened the day after the storm? Did the fishermen all come together or what? They did, uh, yes. The fishermen came together that that morning and we went first of all, we went around the shores gathering up the bits and pieces of buoys and ropes and, and <laughs> the pots that came in. The only good thing we got out of it was the boy, the marker boys. So then we had a meeting, we had a meeting there over the back of the, in the, one of the sheds over there. And uh, it was decided then that we would get in touch with the the politicians and the media and to let them know what our next move was. And that is? That is to go to go fishing salmon. We're going to break the break the law. We're going to fish in salmon and pollock and going to put the gunnets back and board the boats and fish in Area 6A. We have no other choice, like we have no other option. Are you not concerned about getting arrested and going to jail? Well, we're at the moment. Sure, we're in jail here now. We can't go out to fish. We're just walking about dead and doing nothing. Or just anybody that has pots, you may be repairing them. But she may as well be locked up there as to be locked up at home. So all of the fishermen have decided that they're going to go out illegally. That's correct. They're all going out illegally. Well, we're having a meeting with the minister next Friday in Kitty Beggs, and hopefully he'll be understanding and try and do something for us. Mightn't be illegal then, but. Until then, we'll have to just hope for the best and see what's the outcome of that. How bad is it? Ah, it's very bad, Helena. It is very, very bad. Some of the, 
some of the small boats, like he, one of the lads has lost 200 pots, which is an awful lot. And there's 150 missing off some other fleets, like like one of the trawlers, he lost 150 and a lot, a lot of pots damaged. It's, 50, it's 50, 57 euros a pot, you know, so we're talking about 5,700 for every 100 pots, so it's a lot, a lot of money. And uh, for the lobsters now, it's just about 11 euros a kilo. So you'll need a lot, a lot of kilos to take that back. I have uh, 80 pots missing off the, off, the, off the fleets, and we have about 150 over there to be, that can be repaired like when we get, when we get time. So I'd say we'll be starting on them now this, this afternoon and tomorrow when, when we're ashore. Like we'll be working on that 150. Ah, the fishermen are just, they're gutted, I suppose, that's the only way I can say they're, they're down and out at the moment, like, this, they're not going to get out fishing lobsters, or I wouldn't pay them to go out with the little amount of pots they have at the moment, you know, and after spending, maybe some of them spent all winter repairing and mending and putting up new gear, like, to just to see it all destroyed in a matter of a couple hours, it's disheartening, like, Andrew Early, who's approaching his 80th birthday, was an island fisherman for over 60 years. Despite the scientific evidence and conservation measures in place, he, along with other islanders, maintained there's still plenty of salmon out there. In many ways, he's a window into the past, present and future of the island. Threw away the school bag when I was 14 years of age. And I thought... I would try a man's work. They weren't making a fortune, but they were making a living to rear their kids. That's all they wanted to do. There was no big farms on the island. There was no such thing as you set your own little field for potatoes. and You set your corn and you had your few animals and you cut your own turf and that was the way it was. It was a nice way. Island life was nice and it's still lovely, you know. There's no money on the island now. There's nobody, they're, they're not allowed to do what they want to do, you know. It was the saddest day that they took away the salmon fishing from this island, you know. It kept a lot of people at home and it kept their families there. It where their families and there was, there was a good outlook, you know. All of a sudden, the bottom fell out of everything. They decided that there was no more salmon left. There's still salmon out there and they're still passing there with their tails and their heads up in the air. And there will be that as long as I'm around. And my grandchildren, I suppose, there's no hope for them. All they've got to do now is learn their books and try and get to college and get an education and maybe get a job somewhere. There's not an hour, not an hour more anyway, because there's nothing here for them, you know. If we lose the fishing, we lose the heartbeat of island life. Fishing is not a job for islanders. It's a way of life and part of our heritage. It is clear that our struggle will continue in fighting for the right to harvest the sea, to make a living for our families. <laughs>